So whoever coined the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, could have been a case study in pathological apathy. Because even a four-year-old knows that that's not true. Words carry tremendous power. In a study conducted a few years ago at Stanford, researchers took the very same statistics about increasing crime rates and showed that same data to two different groups of participants. But the metaphor they used to describe crime in general was different for each of the two groups. In one group, crime was described as a virus infecting the city. In the other group, crime was described as a beast preying on the city. In the group where crime was described as a virus, Participants were more likely to propose social reform as a way of dealing with crime. They suggested finding the root causes and determining what affects the spread of crime. In short, they viewed crime as similar to a medical situation that needed to be treated. In the group where crime was described as a beast, Participants were more likely to suggest that increasing crime rates should be dealt with by hunting down, capturing, and imprisoning the perpetrators. The words used to describe the same set of statistics affected people's reasoning about the whole situation. Words matter, for good or for ill. We see the power of words in wartime rhetoric, in love letters, in racial name-calling, and in advertising, just to name a few places. James knew very well the power that words have. His whole diatribe on the tongue in today's epistle reading is really about the power of speech. James likens the tongue to a small bit in the mouth of a horse that guides the horse's whole body or to a small rudder that determines the course of a large boat. The tongue may be small, but don't underestimate its power, James tells us. Its own sinfulness is enough to lead our whole body to commit sinful acts. But if the tongue can speak curses, well, its redemption is that it can also speak blessings. And it's here on this cusp between blessing and curse that we find ourselves a million times a day. Now we know what it looks like to speak curses, especially as we ramp up to an election year. We speak curses when we fail to speak truth, when we succumb to mean-spirited stereotypes, when we knowingly and purposefully plant seeds of conflict. We speak curses when our words are spoken without any care for or without even any acknowledgement of the one who will hear them. We speak curses when our words do not build up or encourage or help create the world around us, but instead destroy it. We speak curses when our words are motivated by fear or anger or hatred. As a priest, I have never been asked to curse anything. But I've been asked to bless many things. I've blessed a pin, pig pen. I've blessed wooden stools, a hairless rat, and crosses to hang on walls. I've blessed bathrooms, freezers, icons, rosaries, cars, prayer books, and a whole roller derby team. I've blessed water, bread, wine, oil. And I've blessed weekly gatherings of people who are every bit as quirky and as beautifully messed up as I am.
To speak a blessing is one of my favorite parts of being a priest. I can't help but believe, though, that the church has done a grave disservice to the world by implying that it is only priests who can bless. We know in our hearts that isn't so. But somewhere along the way we began to think that someone has to be set apart or marked in some special way in order to pronounce a blessing. And we began to think that to bless was not within our natural purview. And the world has become all the more destitute for it. What a loss. Maybe part of the reason we hesitate to bless the world around us is that we often misunderstand what blessing is about. Contrary to how we often think, blessings don't confer holiness. To bless something doesn't make it holy. Instead, to bless something is to recognize the holiness that is already there. Think about it. The minute we hold a newborn baby, we sense the sacredness of that child. We know that he or she is a gift from God. It's the recognition of that holiness that compels us to bring that child to the altar rail for a blessing or to the font to be baptized. In bringing that child for a blessing, we are affirming what we already know to be true. So if blessing is, at its root, an act of recognition, then how do we go about our lives bestowing blessings on things as we go? What does it look like to bless something? Well, like almost anything else in the Episcopal Church, you will find many answers to this question. But I do think that there are a few core ingredients to a blessing. First, to bless something, we have to notice it and acknowledge that it has an existence separate from our own. We have to recognize that its existence is a gift from God and that this fact alone is enough to endow it with at least a modicum of holiness. We can then speak a prayer of thanksgiving to God for its creation, or just as good, we can speak a blessing to the thing itself. Try it with your dog, or a flower in full bloom, or a sunset. Try it with the bee that buzzes around your ear. A simple bless you little bee will do. Now, Barbara Brown Taylor calls this the practice of pronouncing blessings. And this incredibly generous way of being in the world will change the way you see everything. It may even change what counts for wisdom. Let me explain. Today's passage from James opens with an address to teachers, which is kind of apropos since this is where we get back started with all of our educational things. Now, James is not referring here to just those who teach in classrooms. He's referring to anyone who, by virtue of their position, has the potential to influence others. He writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I can't help but wonder... But maybe the danger here is not just that those in positions of influence might lead others astray with their improper speech. Maybe it's also that those in positions of influence or authority might become deluded into thinking that they know perfectly well what things one ought to bless and what things one ought not to bless. 
but perhaps such judgment doesn't rest with us. Do we really think that we can always discern what is worthy of a blessing and what isn't? In her book, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor speaks of the humility that comes with a generous practice of pronouncing blessings. She writes, In Jewish tradition, every blessing prayer begins by blessing God. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, by whose word all things come into being. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has made the works of creation. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who feeds all living things. Such prayers are addressed to the God whose rain falls on the just and the unjust, whose sun rises on the evil and the good. In this complicated world, baby rattlesnakes get breakfast as well as baby girls and boys. Little Hitlers grow up in the same generation with little Bonhoeffers and little Schindlers. Blessing prayers do not overlook such complexity or the pain and suffering that can accompany it. They simply decline to adjudicate it. Rightly or not, they decide that given a choice between a blessing and a curse, a blessing will do more to improve air quality. A blessing will have more power to transform the blessee, although transformation is not required. There's no impressive logic behind this reasoning, Taylor writes. The only logic is that all life, all creation comes from God. And for that reason alone, we may call it blessed, leaving the rest up to God. See, I think that the world doesn't need people to be more discriminating about what or who should or should not be blessed. The world doesn't necessarily need more priests, more people set apart to speak blessings on behalf of others. What the world needs is simply more people who will bless with wild abandon. More people who will recognize that something is worthy of blessing just by virtue of its existence, just by virtue of the fact that it is part of God's creation. That's where hope for the world lies. The world needs more people who will bless with wild abandon. Our passage this morning from James reminds us that words have the power to curse and words have the power to bless. The question is, what words will we speak?